Welcome back to the My Latin Life podcast. Since 2014, My Latin Life has been your trusted guide to traveling and living in Latin America. My guest today is Bowtied Cyber. He's a Twitter-based cybersecurity educator and helps people get cybersecurity careers in 90 days. So this could be your path to a remote job and working online in Latin America. Mr. Bowtied Cyber, how's it going, man? It's going, man. Um, just getting over a, a little cold that I got going on here, but uh, I'm excited to be here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and you know, it's funny. I saw you had a tweet today or yesterday where you said, I am sick, but I did not call in sick today because I only work one hour a day anyway. Something like that. Yeah, that's pretty close. <laughs> Would you like to elaborate on that? Yeah. So um, in my current job where I am, I am the dedicated cybersecurity resource for a small startup. And so um, it's very much task based as long as we're not actively getting hacked. And as long as we're keeping tabs on all of the current things that we have, you know, coming down the pipeline, new changes that we're going to have to the environment that could introduce new security concerns. Um, and as long as we continue to stay compliant with what it is that we're doing on the daily, I pretty much get to set my own schedule. And as long as I'm getting my tasks done that I've uh, allocated for myself for what's considered a day's worth of work that's been approved the week prior, I don't have any issues. And so presently, what I'm working on, I'm working on a company training. And so I helped, uh, I got to use the help of this new AI software that you may have heard of called ChatGPT. If you're not inside of the tech community, you may or may not have heard that. But what it is, it's, a, it's an open AI platform. Um, it's pretty much a calculator for everything. It's probably mm -hmm. the best way that, that I can explain that. So I can say, hey, I need 10 slides on the importance of firewall security settings. And it'll go through and it'll make text values, of course. It'll just return text, but it'll give you texts of 10 slides of everything perfectly in order. So you just take that and massage that information into what you need and then boom, your company training is done. So um, it's little tricks like that that can uh, really help to expedite the process. But that yeah. is not uncommon by any stretch of the imagination for these second level jobs, these more senior positions in this industry. Yeah, and we're going to get into all that in detail. Um, just wanted to give people a bit of a taste off the bat of uh, the, the lure of potentially working only one hour a day, working online, making a full-time salary. We're going to get into that later. We're going to talk about working hard versus coasting, <laughs> a, a topic I enjoy. Um, but I wanted to give a little background at the start of this episode. Uh, so real quick, so Bowtied Cyber on Twitter, you have uh, just shy of 18,000 followers on Twitter alone. You guys have a sub stack as well. I guess that probably makes you one of the biggest Bowtied accounts, I'm guessing. It's top 10 for sure. That's epic. So we've had one other uh, Bowtied account uh, on the podcast, Bowtied Mara, 
A-M-A-R-A, who's an expert on Argentina. So people can go check out the Bowtie Mar episode if they want to hear more about life in Argentina. Um, Do you want to just give us like a quick 20-second synopsis of what Bowtie is for people that are unfamiliar with, just real quick? Yeah, Bowtie is a community where we effectively are unified by our belief in the sovereign individual and that um, you have equal opportunity and unequal results. And so it's essentially people who go in with the intent of starting ventures of quote-unquote Wi-Fi money and uh, attempt to make a side income and or a something that evolves into a main income from that as a means to have the resources to continue to live the life that you want to live as the economy changes. And it's historically also been a uh, cryptocurrency um, emphasized community as well. Got it. So that's pretty cool. We got one of the biggest Bowtie accounts on. Um, I, I guess I'd also say that everyone is sort of a subject matter expert. Yours is cybersecurity specifically. Uh, by the way, dude, I got to say, you have a voice for radio. I'm getting shown up on my own podcast. You have one of the best audio voices I've heard, just saying. I appreciate that, man. I uh, <laughs> I don't try at all. <laughs> you can thank my mom. <laughs> dude, you got to get your own podcast. Working on it. By the way, speaking of, is this the, the first podcast that you've ever done? No. So um, at one point in time... I did have a podcast that no longer exists in a completely uh, separate niche. And I think I've been on some other podcasts, but I, I, well, I know I have, but I don't think any have been in the cybersecurity niche though. And actually I was looking for the podcast that I was on the other day after I had um, uh, agreed to come on to this one. And I was talking to my friend, I was like, yeah, I went on this one other podcast this one time. I was like, maybe I can find it. But it looked like that podcast was rebranded to something else. And so it looked like a dude just like scrapped everything and started over. And so I was like, oh, okay. So the episode that I was on is no longer there. But uh, it's one of those things that um, I've actually had like people inside my Discord community find out who I am from like little clips on the internet and things like that. Just by happenstance stumbled across something else where I was talking and they're like, Oh, that was you. Wasn't it? I'd be like, yeah, all right. She got me. Like, you, you, here's your, you officially earned your hoodie. You, you figured out, uh, you, you officially doxed your mentor, right? <laughs> fair enough. So I think it's fair to say you're based in the United States. Yes. Yeah. I live in Florida. Live in Florida. Okay. Um, and you tweet very prolifically. Like I was trying to do uh, some research for this episode and it took me forever just to scroll past like two, three days. So yeah. you're, you're, very, you're very active. And so I pulled two tweets that I thought would be good to kind of kick us off. One was your quickest path to a tech career. And then another one was how to go from zero to a career in 300 hours. Um, Let's start with the quickest path one. So your quickest path to a tech career updated for 2023, Network Plus, which is a certification, Portfolio, and then Apply to Local On-Site Jobs. 
easily get 60K as a network engineer, 30 days to a job if you try. Do you want to just quickly uh, elaborate on that just to give people a bit of an idea of what it would be like to um, work towards and crack into the cybersecurity industry? Yeah. So I think I want to give um, a couple little prefaces here. When we say cybersecurity, it's there. It's not necessarily that any one job is going to be a quote unquote cybersecurity job. What ends up happening is cybersecurity is a, a, a skill set, not a destination. And so what happens is when you study cybersecurity, you have to study all of the components that go into information systems in order to be able to protect that information. And so inside of any individual tech job from help desk all the way up to chief information security officer, you're going to have components of your job that entail cybersecurity needs and best practices. And so um, in that when that's why sometimes I'll say tech job instead of cybersecurity career, I kind of use them interchangeably. Sometimes there's a little bit of nuance there. Um, you're not going to say it's a tech career if the goal of the tweet is talking about penetration testing, for example. It's a real term. And yes, it will always be funny. Um, but with that, uh, if your goal is to get a job in tech, you're going to have some skills. Um, that you're going to apply from a cybersecurity standpoint. And so one of the quickest and easiest ways to distinguish yourself as someone who is ready to receive a job and as somebody who knows enough to be useful in the industry is to get your Network Plus certification. So just like anything else, uh, like industry certifications, it's a test that you take. And it's either pass fail based on the score that you get. You either scored a 720 out of 900 and you passed, or you scored below that and you failed. Um, hit or miss, a one or zero, open and shut case. Once you have that, you've now put yourself ahead of, gosh, probably 90% of all the other applicants out there. And you've proven not only that you know enough to be able to pass the test, but that you have the intellectual capability of passing the exam. And which exam? We're talking about the Network Plus? The Network Plus exam, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and so what it used to be, the kind of OG cybersecurity career roadmap was get your Network Plus, which is that first certification. It's all about computer networking. Your Security Plus, which has a lot of Network Plus components because a lot of security is network security, but it has some other stuff in there too. Um, and then you learn some fundamentals about Linux, uh, which is an open source operating system. You learn some fundamentals about Python, which is a scripting language. Uh, you learn some fundamentals about traffic analysis, like how to look at web traffic and determine if there's something bad going on. Um, and then you make a project portfolio, which is essentially a WordPress server with blog posts about different things that you've done with screenshots and walking through how to do something and cool things that you've done, um, a really clean one page resume and then apply everywhere. That used to be the old roadmap. What we're finding is 
as the economy continues to contract, the opportunities for remote work for entry level are very quickly going to zero. And so zero quickly, we're not there yet, but it's getting closer. And there's, why would it go to zero though? Huh? Why would it go to zero? So as companies are, um, freezing hiring, there's not a whole lot of layoffs happening inside of cybersecurity, but you do have some companies that are opting to not expand. As that happens, the people who are looking for new and better work are now looking from a slightly smaller pool of jobs. As that happens, the people with experience are going to apply for the best jobs that they can get, which are going to be the remote positions. And so what's happened is the economy contracting has goalposted entry-level jobs for cybersecurity to where before anybody with the certification would be able to get a remote job as long as they applied to enough places. That's what happened with my first student. However, what we're finding now is your entry-level positions, um, if you're applying without any experience for a remote position, even if you have your certifications, even if you have a solid portfolio, in a lot of instances, you're not getting a call back. There are always exceptions to that rule, but that seems to be the general trend in the data. So now the updated roadmap is to get your basic certifications, learn your basic skills, and then your, your smoothest entry point in is going to be finding a local on-site job, wherever it is that you're located. Um, unless you live in an extremely rural community, they should be available uh, to where you then go on-site to be able to gain that initial experience. Once you have that initial experience, you're now competitive in the marketplace for a remote position. Yeah, it definitely makes sense. Uh, when I started my IT career, I worked on site for a couple of years before I felt confident to work online. This was obviously um, pre-2020, though, where working online was a, a little bit more cutting edge. So I, I felt like I had to work on uh, work on site first. Um, so, yeah, definitely makes sense. Um, you did a good job of prefacing the question, and I, I kind of want to double down on the preface that you gave. So cybersecurity isn't necessarily a career, but a skill set. And there's potentially a couple different paths, be it penetration tester, maybe quality assurance analyst, QA analyst, network engineer. Do you want to do you want to give us uh, a little bit of the, uh, the potential paths or the spectrum of opportunities out there? Sure. So I'm going to go ahead and categorize this into three main buckets that we're going to call red team, blue team, and incident response. Incident response is technically a subset of blue team, but it's different enough that it warrants its own classification. So your red teaming is going to be what you would typically think of if you think of cybersecurity and you don't know anything else. So that's going to be your quote unquote hackers, the people who wear hoodies inside of their room when it's 100 degrees out or whatever, um, like in a dark room, hacking away at things. So the, as we discussed earlier, the official term for a quote unquote hacker is a penetration tester. And what it is, it's adversary simulation. So mm -hmm. a company will say, we want to see if a hacker would be able 
to break into our infrastructure. And so they pay a penetration tester to attempt to hack into the network and find as much as they can find. And then they give them this report and say, hey, I was able to get in in six different ways and you have 15 different issues that you need to resolve. Mm-hmm. So that's that's the red team side of things. And then you have the blue team side of things. And, so that's And sorry, before you get into blue, sorry to interrupt, but sure, why, why, are you, why are you calling it red and blue team? Does that have any significance? I don't know. Actually, I've never thought of it. If it does, I'm not sure what the like historical significance is of it. Okay, but it is a term like in the industry? 100%. Yeah. Okay. Okay, continue. Um, blue team is going to be your defense. So red team is your offense, blue team is your defense. And these are the guys who are defending the networks. Now, that being said, a lot of people, when they think about cybersecurity, they think, I want to be a hacker because that sounds cool. Don't get me wrong. It is cool. I'm a certified ethical hacker by trade, which really sounds a lot fancier than it actually is. Um, I'm not a real hacker by any stretch of the imagination. I work with some guys who are. They're uh, among the companies that exist today. They need a proper pen test done about once a year, but they need security every day of the year. So it stands to reason that there are far more defensive blue team jobs than there are offensive red team jobs. Um, So that's why I focus on when helping people get jobs in this industry, focus on the defensive side of things. Mm -hmm. Because I guess the red, the red team, um, penetration tester it might not 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 necessarily be a full-time job it might it's like it's almost like it could be a consulting thing where you just come in for a couple weeks and and do the tire kicking and then and that's it it could be but with a sufficiently large enough organization they'll have there's always um, something regular room for you yes salaried penetration testers are a thing for sure yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. And then within the defensive side, the blue team, what's the range of positions, would you say, just in terms of the titles? Um, I think the big one is going to be SOC analyst. There are so many different names for the exact same position you've got, like, or, or not exactly the same position, but across two different companies. They could have two completely different names and be the and be doing the same thing across those two companies. Um, I remember my uh, uh, at the last place that I worked, I was a network security engineer, and my partner was a SOC engineer, and we we did the same thing. In fact, I pretty much did both of our jobs for a long while, and then he did the really kind of easy stuff that. Um, that because I had things that he wasn't capable of doing because I knew programming and he didn't. So, um, yeah, I think a lot of this is going to come down to um, identifying your individual skill sets and what those are and searching for jobs based on those skill sets because it's a total crapshoot as to what the job is going to be titled specifically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I guess if you're just looking at Indeed or LinkedIn, you gotta you gotta search a whole bunch of different name combinations just to see 
what the requirements are if you're early on, or uh, in order to apply to all these positions, you gotta you gotta search different terms to find the jobs. Correct. Yeah, and I guess one quick note on that: job requirements are like red lights in Florida. They're just suggestions. If you've ever driven in Florida, you know what I'm talking about. Um, it's a wish list. Mm-hmm. Ideally, they would love to have somebody who has these qualifications. That's what they want. You know, what they want is a PhD from MIT and they want to pay him $15 an hour. But when you have three times as many open positions for cybersecurity in America as you do for registered nurses, you don't always get what you want. Yeah. And so, no, I think, I think most people get that. Yeah. And, uh, and so what I encourage everybody to do is to apply to everything, junior positions, senior positions, one so where you meet some of the qualifications, some where you meet all of the qualifications, some where you meet none of the qualifications. The worst thing that happens is they say no. The best thing that happens is you either get an opportunity to interview for that position or they look at your resume and say, I don't know why this guy with no experience is applying for a senior position, but we have this junior position that we've really been meaning to post and haven't gotten around to it. Maybe mm-hmm. we'll just interview him for that and see where it goes. I've yeah, heard that exact story countless times. Apply to everything. Yep, 100%. Uh, one quick question that was bugging me. So a SOC analyst or or whatever, is that is that like a SOC 2 audit? Is that oh, the same so, thing? So no. So um let me look up. I forget what the actual acronym is. Okay. <clears throat> so you have a SOC as in um, the thing that your blue team cybersecurity professionals work out of is a security operations center, right? The one that the acronym that I forget, which is the SOC audit, which is a different thing when you're talking about audits and the and SOC in terms of an audit and not like a, a place where work is done. Um, it's a systems and organization controls audit. So um, I actually have done both of those things. I went from building a SOC to in my last job to now I work with SOC certification at my current company was the primary role um, that I was hired on to fill was to help guide my company to that, which we successfully did last year. Gotcha. Sorry, that one was just bugging me. Um, okay, let me hit hit you with just some basic questions that I think everyone listening to this wants to know. Like, how realistic is it to go from a normal, non-technical, average guy to becoming a cybersecurity analyst or working in the cybersecurity industry? A, is it possible B, how long does it take? And C, is it actually like the easiest way in or, you know what I mean? Or is it the best ROI way? Yeah, so that's a really good question um, and one that I get frequently. So with that, um, maybe we'll start from the end and work our way backwards. Is it the easiest way to get into tech? 
I don't know of an easier way. I think if I did know <laughs> of an easier way, I would probably be suggesting that because cybersecurity for me is really cool as an industry. But more than that, it's a means to an end. Because I have so many people that I work with who I relate to back when I was a young adult, when I was struggling. I remember being 19 and married, newly married, and my uh, then pregnant wife and myself had a shitty apartment in the middle of nowhere and a mattress on the floor that smelled like dog pee. And I remember thinking that I would have done anything to get us to a better situation than what we had at the time and fought like hell to get to that point. Going from making $15 an hour to 17 an hour to 20 an hour, eventually getting to a $50,000 a year teaching job to then getting a $90,000 a year cybersecurity job. And then we split up shortly thereafter. Unrelated to cybersecurity, that was the best part about that that whole seven years, but um, other than maybe my kids. Well, dude, but, that's uh, why you have such a good radio voice is uh, you grew up fast. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> maybe that's what it was, man. Um, but uh, I, I sure did. You know, life comes at you fast when, uh, when you're married with kiddos. But, um, but in any case, I want to be the resource for others that I wish I had when I was 19. And so when I tell people this is the easiest way to get in, the fastest way to get in, I'm not saying that because cybersecurity is my thing. I'm saying that because I think that cybersecurity could be anybody's thing. And I say this as somebody who initially tried to get in as a programmer and failed miserably. Like I'm not smart enough to be a programmer, but I'm easily smart enough for what I do in cybersecurity, um, which, you know, I, I think my, my track record has, <laughs> has, has proven that. Okay. So you think that cyber cybersecurity careers are easier to get into than coding careers? Yeah. hundred percent. Programming is hard. Um, and I was just reminded of like how hard programming is taking on a, uh, a little coding project at my current place. It's uh, it's brutal. So, okay. So, so ROI. That, yeah. Like I, you're not going to make the most money in cybersecurity compared to other avenues of tech like programming, but it's also a lot easier to get into. So it is a, um, it is a lower ceiling, a lower ceiling, but it's also a lower barrier to entry, right? Mm -hmm. And also probably easier day to day and less work day to day, which we'll get into uh, later in the episode. Yeah, we'll get there. Mm -hmm. um, and then, is it something that anybody can really do? Is I think it's something that I think ten percent of the population thinks they could do it. And I think 90% are actually capable of it. 
And I think the easiest way to tell is go get your network plus. There is a really good course by the guy, a guy by the name of Jason Dion, who has a Udemy course on network plus. If you put in 100 hours of hard ass study and you can pass your network plus, then you've got what it takes to be able to make it in cybersecurity. Not only that, that is like the halfway point to getting a job in cybersecurity is getting your network plus. So if anybody's interested about that, I would strongly recommend looking into the CompTIA Network Plus exam for that reason, because if you can pass that, you're gold. Yeah. And by the way, this course costs 10 bucks. I'm looking at it right now. It's not much. It goes on sale all the time. Yeah. I think it's a list <laughs> for $300 or something like that. And maybe it's because it's I'm in Mexico, Mexico, but it's 229 pesos right now. Yeah. Yep. It's, uh, yeah, it's, it's not much. Um, and then that really goes into the, that first point, which is, can this, can this really be done in like 300 hours? Is that really like feasible? I think that depends on you, how hard you're willing to work and how efficiently you're able to study. So if you can get your network plus in 30 days, which my students do it routinely, then, um, I think if you follow the rest of the roadmap, take two weeks, get your security plus, learn Linux for a week, learn Python for a week, learn traffic analysis for a week, look at some other resources for a little bit of time, and then start applying locally with that one page resume that we talked about and that good WordPress portfolio, then I think it's something that you really can do in 90 days. And I've seen it done on more than one occasion. I've had two students who their first jobs in tech we're making $110,000 a year. Mm-hmm. One of them was a student of mine who got a job as a software engineer. And it was like an eight month time scale, very different from the norm. The second was pretty typical. It was a security job as a contract that he took in a location that was on site that he didn't live in. So he was willing to relocate for a one year contract that's paying him $110,000 a year. And he's flourishing. I actually met up with him a couple of weeks ago um, because I, I love doing that when I have the opportunity to meet students in person. And uh, you know, he's doing great. Like this is this is something that he never thought would have been possible, but he just did everything that I told him to do. Ninety days later, hundred and ten thousand dollar offer. So I think it's something that um, most people are capable of it. I think it comes down to, do you like it enough to want to do it? Because yeah, if you fair. absolutely hate it, then it's not for you. Like, cause it's not going to get any better over time. It's going to be an uphill battle. Um, the, the commonality that I see among my students who do well are the ones who, when they're studying for their network plus say, It's dry and it sucks, but I kind of like it. If that's you, there's a good chance you're going to enjoy this industry. Yeah. So, and just, uh, I'm kind of reading the the content. So 
understanding computer networks, their functions and their components, a little vague, subnetting networks, performing basic network configurations, and becoming an effective networking technician and in a small to medium-sized business environment. Yep. So networking at its core is just the way that computers talk to each other. But it just so happens that like 90% of cybersecurity happens between devices that are talking to each other, not so much on the devices themselves. Right. Like, I guess when it's on the device, that's more like QA testing and like functionality testing and stuff. Yeah. Like that's, that's going to be a completely different um, domain because the way that things operate on a device, um, that is one consideration, but it has to get there first. So you're not testing like web apps. Like, uh, so we would say we would be using like Selenium and, and some other, I guess, like JavaScript based like QA softwares and, uh, test and we'd be like testing all the forms on a website, trying to mess with the forms, see if you could put a phone number in the email field, email in the phone number field, other, and just trying to like input bad data. You can, you can take it pretty far, but stuff like that. But this is not that, right? This is like a, a, a different, a different level of the, of the stack. Yeah. Here, hold on one second. Can you hear those notifications as yes. they're coming into my discord? Yeah. Okay. Let me um, <clears throat> let me go ahead and silence these. Figure out how to do that. <clears throat> I'm gonna leave this in just to mess with you because you're supposed to be a tech guy. <laughs> do it. I was gonna say you could also leave in me uh, going in, uh, grabbing a glass of water because <clears throat> I already popped a cough drop. We're struggling a little. All right, all right. Get your glass of water. It's fine. I'll, I, can <laughs> I can cut this out. Don't worry about it, man. Um, let's see. Where's my Where's my notifications on here? Just close it. I did. That's why I'm confused. Okay. Uh, let's see. There we go. All right, I'm going to go get my water. All right. All right, I got a water and a Coke Zero. Sweet. I'm not sure which is going to help, but we're stacked. I'm going to get a couple more cough drops here on the, on the ready just in case. Okay. All right, we got our timestamps. Yep. Where were we? 
Where were we? So let me double down on a question. I have a lot of buddies that hit me up because they see my Instagram stories and maybe they did a, a bachelor of arts degree. Maybe they work in construction or some kind of lame sales job uh, on site in an office and they don't really have technical skills, but they're, I don't know, they're competent adults, let's say, <laughs> that have been paying their bills for a couple of years, but they know they want to switch into something that's more IT, more online. And they want to be like me and travel the world and uh, get the Latino girlfriends. So they think that um, maybe doing this networking thing is a good path to it. Let's just double down on how realistic it is to uh, go from zero to job in like 90 days. And actually, we never even talked about like what the day-to-day -day responsibilities are going to look like once you get into one of these roles. Yeah. So it's going to be um, completely different uh, for each and every job that you get or that you could be getting. And so um, I think uh, if we want to start with that, let's let's go ahead and, and go over some of the basics of some of the things that you might be doing um, if you were to get a job as like a... Um, say a network engineer. Okay. It's largely going to be um, configuring routers and switches and dealing with different IT systems, whether that's email servers, whether that's Linux servers, Active Directory, DNS, um, different protocols. Uh, it's, it's essentially the... IT needs of the organization are going to be something that is largely left up to you. So there's some uh, like system administration, network administration. There's a lot of overlap between those things. And depending on exactly what uh, job you get and where you're working um, and who you have assisting you is going to determine which of those things you're going to be responsible for. But uh, for example, I had a student who um, uh, got his foot in the door doing exactly this about six months ago, got his network plus started applying around, got a local job making like 50 a year, I think in his rural community. And, uh, the first thing they had him do was like set up Active Directory. And so it's just an Azure that, product. Yeah. So um, I don't know if they did it in Azure or if they did a local on site with domain controllers. Um, but in either case, it was something that he didn't know how to do. So he researched and he figured it out and then he did it. And that's a lot of what you need to be able to do <laughs> to be able to make it in this industry is if I don't know how to do something, can I figure it out? And if the answer is yes, then you have a really good chance at um, having a successful entry into this world of tech careers. S sounds like a lot of responsibility. I was just a construction guy 90 days ago. I was painting walls and now I'm responsible for the IT infrastructure of a small to medium sized business. That sounds like a lot of responsibility. It is, but you have to remember that to get to that point, like 90 days doesn't sound like a lot when you're chilling with family and watching Netflix. 
when you're putting in four hours of hard ass study every single day, like you won't even recognize yourself 90 days after that because you won't have shaved the entire time because you don't have any time because you've been studying so damn much. Um, but in all seriousness, though, the amount that you can learn and actually be useful in 90 days is astounding. I had a student just recently passed Network Plus and Security Plus in 38 days. And I thought it was really interesting what he had said. Um, his certification came in the mail because you get a digital one and a paper one. His certification for Network Plus came in the mail and he said, it's crazy to think that 40 days ago, I didn't even know what TCP and UDP were, um, which are transmission protocols, different types of packets that computers send to, to talk to each other. And that's exactly what it is. It's because most people don't know what that is. But when you dedicate this amount of time and effort, you're able to go in and be useful almost immediately. And yeah, it's going to be a lot of figuring it out. And yeah, that's a lot of responsibility. But uh, um, it's that high level of responsibility in each job that gives you the opportunity to be able to break into the marketplace um, as somebody who doesn't have any formal experience. Okay, I'm sold. And so I'm actually between becoming a software developer. I heard I can do a two-month boot camp and get a job out of that or uh, doing this network plus thingamajiggy and, and becoming a network guy. Why would I want to become a network engineer instead of a software developer? Well, I think it's going to be an easier entry point. Um, and it doesn't help that when it comes to software engineering in particular, um, we're starting to see some layoffs. That's not happening much in the realm of cybersecurity and uh, like general tech, like site reliability type stuff. The reason being because if the computers stop working, you stop making money. But if you don't code as fast, you still make money as an organization. And so it all comes down to dollars at the end of the day. Mm. So sort of uh, maintenance mode, keeping the lights on versus new feature correct. advancement. Mm -hmm. okay. Exactly. hundred um, percent. But that being said, if you have the chops to do software development and you like it, do software development. Like, I'm not here to tell you that you shouldn't do that. Like, try it out. Give it a shot. Like, buy a, a $10 Udemy course on Python or if you're going to try to do front-end web development. Um, you know, learn JavaScript. Learn React. Do free code camp. Like, I tried doing free code camp um, back in the day and... 2018, when I failed to get a tech job before I had to submit and become a high school math teacher. And, um, you know, it wasn't for me. Like, I got stuck on free code camp and I could not figure it out for the life of me and how to do this one dumb function in JavaScript that did something really basic. Like, it was just, it was not, um, it was not the avenue for me. But I would say that if you're looking to get in as reliably as possible, like if you're somebody who you would rather um, play the odds than go into a particular industry or domain, I'd recommend by start to start by studying networking. Um, 
But if you're somebody who, if you've played around with programming and you know that it's something that you truly enjoy and something that you have the chops for, like go for it. Um, mm-hmm. you know, it wasn't my thing, but that doesn't mean that it won't be your thing. Yeah. Uh, I have a question, which is, um, is this whole industry based on the windows slash Linux stack or, um, like what if you're a MacBook guy, you've been using a MacBook your whole life and now you got to use a windows machine potentially at a job. That's a bit of a hard transition or what's sort of the, the split there? Well, it depends on like anything. I think it depends on the job and it depends on, um, what it is that you're trying to accomplish. So like anything, uh, the needs that the organization is going to have is going to be uh, entirely dependent on the organization. And it's also going to be completely unique from anything else, from any other organization out there, maybe minus some like really small shops that have a very limited numbers of limited number of like software uh, and, and servers that they have. But in general, for any organization of appreciable size, the needs that they have and the technology that they have is going to be completely unique to them. And so there's going to be a learning curve, no matter where it is that you're going. Uh, and so I would say to uh, that it's not going to be an issue because you can learn whatever it is that you need to learn once you get there, but this is why you start with your foundation. This is why you start with your base. Like I'm not a Microsoft guy at all. I'm recording this from a, uh, an HP laptop that I put Ubuntu Linux on the moment I got it. And I didn't even honor it with the, with a single windows boot. So I would say, do your best, learn as much as you can and get into the job so you can start gaining that experience because that's where you're really going to learn and where you're really going to thrive. And then you're also making money and you're not just studying anymore. Like you're actually applying it, um, which is also a really good feeling as well. But uh, when it comes to like different operating systems, sometimes if you go somewhere and say, Hey, you know, I'm used to working on a Mac. Can I get a Mac? They might be like, yeah, we can get you a Mac. Or they say, nah, like we really use windows machines here. Okay. Well, that's, that's just a, a, a learning curve that you're going to have to deal with, but it's not that much of a hard transition. I think the hardest one is going to be if you go from never using Linux to all of a sudden having to use Linux, in which case you should have learned something about Linux in your study. Like, I have a cybersecurity bootcamp and we go through the fundamentals of Linux in that, in my Substack, we go through the fundamentals of Linux. We do all that stuff because knowing how to do things in Linux is important because you have a lot of Linux servers. So you need to know what that looks like and how that operates under the hood, at least a little bit. And it's actually really cool. Like I love Linux. Linux is my favorite. Um, but uh, yeah, I wouldn't be afraid of that transition. Like if that's, Um, if that's the thing that you're most apprehensive about in starting a a new career is if you're going to have to learn a new operating system, um, then I think you might have bigger challenges coming your way. Okay, cool. So you had a, you had a tweet that was, how long does it take to go from zero to a career in cybersecurity? About 300 hours, 30 hours for basics, hundred hours, network plus 50 hours, security plus the two certifications, 
40 hours Linux, which we're kind of talking about right now, 40 hours Python, and 40 hours traffic analysis. Um, what type of Python is it when it comes to this, uh, this career? Because it's obviously different than the type of Python I'm used to as a web developer. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so when I say Python, I mean Python for scripting and automation. Anything that you would do expressly for the purpose of making your life easier. Um, I use Python for a lot of things that I could probably do in Excel, but I don't know how to do them in Excel. So I do them in Python. I do a lot of data parsing and data conditioning in Python. I uh, actually, this goes back to my, my first job, which is some really basic Python. I built the, um, the sock alerting algorithms. So the stuff that looked at all the network traffic and then if something bad happened, would send an alert to our sock up in AWS that I also built the place, not the, um, not the certification. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and that allowed us to scale that thing to being a $10 million SaaS, like a $10 million a year SaaS or whatever it was that they spun off into its own company. And then mm -hmm. they uh, screwed me out of my stock options. And so I gave them the middle finger with both hands and went and found something else in my current job, which I love now, which is great. Um, I mean, hard not to love it when you work an hour a day, right? And the people there are really cool too. So big bonus. Yeah, you, you've made reference to getting screwed out of st stock options. I guess this is an aside, but what happened there? Yeah. So when I started, we were at the parent company um, because at that point there was no sister company. It was just the parent company. The product that I had helped make did so well that they spun it off into its own company, right? So when they did, they um, moved us over to the sister company. And when they did, they cut the tap on our promised stock options from the parent company. And it's like, wait, wait, wait. I was here and I put in all of this work so that I could have these stock options at the parent company, the one that's worth all the money. And when you wanted to reassign me and spin me like into this other company, you took away all of my valuable stock options, right? You cut the tap on it mm -hmm. and uh, replaced it with these significantly less valuable options. It's like, no, no, no. Like you, sh you should have just paid me out my stock options. Like you should have given me both. Mm, but instead like, they did a little bait and switch. Yeah. Like you're welcome for creating like the entire infrastructure that allowed you to create this company. Now, like, don't get me wrong. They hired me to do a job. I was happy to do the job. They paid me well. I got experience. But it's like, all right, cool. It's like, hey, business is business. Fine. Not a problem. Like, so I'm going to go find another job somewhere else that pays me more, you know, because business is business. So it's like, if that's how you want to play, like, if you want to play hardball, like, we'll play hardball. Like, I don't have to be salty about it. Um, but uh, let me tell you what, they were not happy when I left and for good reason. I knew how everything worked and they were kind of dependent on me at the time. So they had their own learning curve that they had to go through. When, yeah, um, let's let's put a, a pin in that and come back to it because I think negotiating position is very interesting, especially mm -hmm. for people who 
technical people who actually know how things work. Um, and then all the idea people are like, ah, like, what are we going to do? Well, <laughs> uh, let's put a pin that. Um, and then the last step was uh, 40 hours of traffic analysis. What What is traffic analysis? Yeah. So when I say traffic analysis, it's just analyzing network traffic for the purpose of being able to determine if there's something bad or weird going on. There are several ways that we do this. Um, one is with Wireshark which is a program that you use is technically considered a protocol analyzer, quote unquote. I'm going to put on my little nerdy glasses and get my pocket protector. Um, we call Wireshark a, a protocol analyzer. So what you do is you load in a packet capture file, um, otherwise known as a PCAP, and it loads all of that into memory. And then you can dig through the entire PCAP all at once. Uh, you can look at all of the IP addresses, all of the computers that we're talking back and forth. Um, everything about the interaction that took place on the network is going to be captured and put into this PCAP file. And so if there's anything bad or weird that happened that we can detect on the network, we'll be able to detect it in Wireshark. So that's one of the things that we can do. Um, I go through in my Substack uh, a post on how to capture a clear text password um, using uh, Wireshark. It's really not capturing it with Wireshark. It's more so like finding what the password is once it's been captured, whether you're capturing it with Wireshark or not, um, as an example. But then we have other things that we can do. So um, I like to teach people how to use an IDS, an intrusion detection system, is a brilliant tool that we have. It's completely open source. It's uh, the one that I like to use is called Suricata. And what it does is that looks at all of your network traffic in real time. But instead of saving off all of that network traffic, because there's so much useless garbage in network traffic that you would never need to look at. Instead, what it does is it's got tens of thousands of rules and if anything bad or weird happens, instead of just saving off the traffic for you to find later, it will generate an alert. Now, here's the thing. These IDS systems, these intrusion detection systems, they don't miss much, but that's because they're super duper 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 noisy. Most alerts are complete garbage. And so if you can use something like Python in conjunction with something else like Linux, to scan through those alerts mm -hmm. and find the, the red meat of what it is that you're looking for and then generate your own custom alerts based on that or generate your outputs or something like that. Um, that's a really effective way to be able to analyze traffic um, and also something that you can do on an automated basis. And so all of that's included in that um, terrible saying, but... There's uh, more than one way to skin a cat and uh, there's more than one way to analyze traffic. And so that's something that you approach it from a couple of different angles and all of a sudden you're somebody who knows something valuable. Okay. So that's traffic analysis. That's the final piece of the puzzle from zero to a career in cybersecurity. So let's say that the audience is listening to this and they're like, okay, I got to pass Network Plus, Security Plus, I have to learn Linux, I have to learn Python, I have to do this traffic analysis stuff. That sounds kind of intimidating. How do we um, how do we put people at ease that it's easier 
than they think. Um, that most of my students come to me after they've had a job and they said, I never thought I'd be able to do this. And they do it because it turns out that we're all people like I'm not exceptionally smart. I failed at being a software developer. Um, you know, half the time I can't even read. So, like, uh, I think it, it's something that if you just give yourself a chance to go through and give it a good college try, I think you'll find that you're more capable than you realize. And like I said, anything that you're going to do, not only in the study leading up to a job, but anything you're going to do in your career is going to be easier than Network Plus. Network Plus is the hardest thing you're going to do in your career, period, end of story. Unless you end up going into something really niche, which is really specialized, requires a very special skill set, in which case you will be compensated for it appropriately and trained. So don't worry about that aspect of things. But if the concern is, oh my gosh, I have so many different things I have to learn because I have to do these two certs and I have to learn Linux and Python and traffic analysis, I'll tell you what. Once you uh, once you pass your network plus, everything else is gravy. Like at that point, once you pass your network plus, you've learned like half of what you need to know to pass your security plus because there's a lot of overlap between the exams. So getting your security plus is pretty easy once you have your network plus. After that, you get to just learn stuff and it's just kind of a fun process like it no longer feels like work because you're no longer learning with the intent to pass an exam you're already a certified individual and so now you're just adding skills on top of the things that you already know to apply some of the things that you've spent so much time and effort learning and that's really rewarding so in that once you get to that point it's just fun and then once you get to the point of being on a job, it's even more fun and you're getting paid, which is the most fun. So, um, yeah, I think as long as you can get your network plus, I think you'll find that um, it's going to be a, a nice, uh, smooth process from there up to the point of getting a job. Okay, cool. So Bowtide Cyber has convinced me that it's going to be pretty easy if I pass network plus and security plus. But here's what I'm thinking, internet guy with a smooth voice. Couldn't I just pay somebody to do the Network Plus and Security Plus for me, and then I'm more than halfway there to the job? Nope. Nope. These exams are super tightly regulated um, through Pearson. So you either have to go to the testing center and bring your ID to test on site, or you, if you're doing it from home, it's really tightly controlled and they fail people for um, dumb things that they shouldn't. So they're guaranteed to fail you for dumb things that they should. So uh, there's no way around it, at least not that I've seen. And I'm the hacker who looks for holes in systems. Uh, right. I guess of all the tests, it's yeah, like the, hack, the hacker test, they've made it unhackable. Right. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Um, funny That's enough, fair. actually, one of the... Uh, hacker tests that I did take for my CEH. Um, if I wanted to, I could have captured all of the traffic so that I could have stored a copy of each of the uh, um, 
each of the questions as they were coming in, but I, uh, I decided against it. And, uh, I guess now I will never have the opportunity to do so. Not because I couldn't take the test again, but now because my ethics are certified. <laughs> okay. Anyway. Sweet. Um, question for you. So QA, we talked about it a bit, but QA analyst versus uh, cybersecurity person. Um, do you think QA analyst could also be like a viable zero to career path? And like why? Uh, so we, we already compared software developer to um, cybersecurity. But what about QA analyst to cybersecurity? Let's see. So um, let me go ahead and pull up a, a job description for this just to make sure that we're um, we're on the uh, the right the the right uh, same page with this. So when I think of like QA analysts, I think of somebody who is um, like working adjacent to the software development team yes. who is testing the code to ensure that it does the thing that we want it to. Right. Um, I think one of my one of the funniest things I ever read on the internet was um, a QA analyst uh, is testing some code or he's uh, he's ordering beers at a bar and he orders one beer. He orders a hundred beers. He orders negative one beers. And then a customer walks in and asks where the bathroom is and the whole place goes up in flames. Right. Um, so in that, like I haven't worked with, uh, QA analysts directly because my idea of quality assurance when I worked at my last place was, does the code run? And I'd say, yeah. And he'd say, did you test it? He'd say, yeah. And he'd say, okay, let's ship it to production. I broke production on more than one occasion for that <laughs> reason and others. Um, but uh, yeah. So in that, I think it's, it's like anything else. It's like we had mentioned previously. Cybersecurity is a skill set, not a destination. And so with that, there are going to be elements of cybersecurity that you can apply to your quality assurance. Like, are you running it just to see how the code functions when it um, receives inputs that it's expecting or the types of inputs that it's expecting. Like it's one thing to put an email in a phone number spot and a phone number in an email spot. It's another thing to put different characters that you wouldn't have expected or something that if the data is not being properly sanitized before it's being sent to the SQL database, is it then going to return uh, values from a SQL query as a result of that, right? And in doing so, what kind of errors are we getting? Are we getting like, um, like full data errors because your API is still in debug mode or are we just getting generic, sorry, something went wrong errors. Um, so I think like anything, um, there are elements of cybersecurity that can be applied to that, that can make you better at your job. And I think True. I would venture to say that even if you study cybersecurity would help you in getting those types of jobs. That being said, I don't think any of my students have have gotten a job as a QA analyst. Um, but I don't know that that means that they couldn't. I do think they're pretty separate domains, um, but there is that one thing that they have in common, which is like test the system to make sure that it doesn't get broken by 
somebody doing something that we don't want to, which mm-hmm. is a common thread between QA and cybersecurity analysts. Yeah, because we had an episode with job stackers, Jay Rolf Halza, if I'm pronouncing oh, nice. it right. Have you, are you familiar with the job stackers guy? Mm-hmm. What, what are your thoughts on that? Um, I would say uh, I thought it was really awesome until I had a student who did it wrong and um, was holding two jobs simultaneously. Messed up. Company A find, found out about company B. Company B fired him and then company A fired him. So with that, uh, I would say if you're going to do that, like the opportunity is tremendous. There are people who are literally making a million dollars a year W-2 by, by doing this. That being said, be aware that it's not zero risk because it's not zero risk because if they find out like you're in trouble, could you pick up another job? Yes. But you do run the risk of damaging your reputation in the industry and cybersecurity. Your reputation is everything. So, um, mm-hmm. if you, do you are think that guy was using the same computer for multiple jobs or do you know how he got caught? Oh yeah, he was. I know exactly how he got caught. Um, he, uh, his AirPods weren't connected when they thought they were. And so the, um, uh, he was muted on one meeting but not the other and so uh, company b was able to hear what was going on in company a's meeting and that's how company b found out about company a then company Mm -hmm. b was on two calls at the same time yeah Mm -hmm. oh and the companies actually talked to each other yeah company b called company a and told him about it and then company a said you can't be doing this anymore like you're gonna have to quit working at company b and then company b fired him and then after company B fired him, company A fired him anyway. Damn. <laughs> wow. So they kind of told him and then fired him. Well, I guess they had to confirm to be like, yeah. yo, does this guy work for you? <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> like, really? Because he works for us. Yeah. Yeah. So in the, in the job stacker interview, uh, or sorry, in the job stacker podcast, he was doing that. He was doing two calls at the same time and he was having um, over ear headphones and then also having AirPods. And so he Whoa. was listening to one call kind of in each ear. That's the, wild. I was like, dude, like that's insane. He's like, no, the camera's not good enough. Like they can't tell I'm like listening to two calls. And like he, we, we, we ran through some strategies about like how to um, deal with it if they both kind of call upon you at the same time. I would rather just not deal with that stress and just like not not double book my time but i guess maybe it's occasionally unavoidable dude same like that's what i like about what i do here one i'm anonymous and nobody knows like what i do and nobody needs to know like what i do which is super cool that i can help people in the capacity that i have um while being anonymous but the other side of that too is uh it allows me to um prioritize my job job when I need to prioritize my job job. When we're going through sock audits, like that's a one priority. Like Twitter's fun. Like, and I get to help people, but it's like you, your boy needs to eat. Um, especially now. Cause I'm bulking, you know what I'm saying? And, uh, and so with that, 
it's nice to have this opportunity where whatever it is that I do here on the side, I can schedule completely around what it is that I need to do for my job job to ensure that I'm still, you know, checking all those boxes and, and providing the, the service that they're paying me for because they are paying me for a service. And like, I, I take that very seriously. Like, um, while there are things that I do to make my job and my time more efficient, um, that's certainly not an exception to the level of quality that I expect myself to bring or that they expect me to bring as well. No, for sure. Um, sorry. And the, the reason, and we'll get into a bit of the, um, time commitment stuff, but the reason I brought it up was because the job stacker guy, he was originally a software developer and he decided to transition into QA because he found it was just easier to stack because there's just less of a daily time commitment. And um, I, honestly, I'm kind of, think of thinking of doing something similar because um, I may or may not be a software developer. And what's tough about being a developer is you actually need to produce features like every day. And there's a lot of pressure of daily output and putting out like lines of code every day. And if you move over to the QA side or, you know, alternatively to the cybersecurity side, I, I feel like there's less of a pressure of daily output because you're more just like monitoring things, running some scripts. And I feel like it's just a little a little more chill. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, probably. Um, that's part of the reason why uh, I didn't pursue software development even though I probably could at this point in my career um, because I actually have written some code and uh, I've actually received offers um, for software development positions in the past. Mm -hmm. But it's, uh, it's not something that really interests me because it's so unbelievably difficult and it's, it weighs a lot on me. Because I'm some I'm somebody that for me, um, like I, I do take the work that I do very seriously, and that's something that if I wasn't successful in like creating a feature or I didn't have a thorough enough understanding of the current architecture, I would want to obsess over it until I got to the point that I did know like enough about it to be content uh, with the, the job that I was doing. And I don't think that's conducive to my overall life goals right now, because my life goals are to continue to do what I'm doing for my career while doing what I do online, because that's like the, the stuff that I do in my day job pays the bills. The stuff that I do online is fulfilling to me. Like people ask me all the time. They're like, like if, money were no object, what would you do? It's like, that's easy. I would do exactly what I'm doing now. I would just do uh, what I'm doing, helping students start their careers because that's what's meaningful to me. I, would, I just wouldn't be working a day job anymore. Mm -hmm. So what what is the expectation like on a daily basis as a, a cybersecurity professional? Like how do they, like how metrics driven is your work like, are they saying like, oh, you know, you, you got to, I don't know, create so many scripts a day, run so many scripts, check all these things. Like how metrics driven is it versus more like a little bit more vague and stuff? Yeah. So I think that's, that's a great question. Depends on the place that you're working for. I, as a personal rule, 
on principle will never work for a place that implements time trackers. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I saw that. Yeah. Uh, one, I've got too much respect for myself. Two, when you're dealing with hard problems, that's not something that can be measured by how frequently your mouse is moving. Um, and so with that, uh, I, I really do think it depends on the, the place that you're working for. In general, I think it tends to be um, either task-driven or outcome-driven. So like in my current place, like we do Jira sprints, like most tech organizations, um, which for people who don't know, um, Jira is a ticket management system where you have your tickets that you have for a certain period of time. Tickets are tasks. Mm-hmm. How much time you're going to spend on those tasks is determined by the number of points. You have so many points allocated in a day and so many points allocated in a week and so many points allocated in a sprint, which is a combination of some number of weeks. And so what I do is I set up my tickets for a two week sprint. And then I get the sign off from my boss and everyone else in the team for what I'm going to do for that two weeks. And then I go and do it and that's it. And then it's never like, you know, well, what were like, what were you doing with your day? Like I was doing this and I was working on it. Well, were you really working on that for a full eight hours? Like, no, like, but no, nobody asks that because nobody cares. Like I'm working remote. Like they're not up until nine o'clock where they are. And like their, their nine o'clock is my 11. So it's like, I, I, I don't have to be presentable by email until 1130. Mm-hmm. Like I go work out in the mornings, like, and it's fine. And I get all my work done. And everyone's super happy with the work that I'm doing. And I get along with the teams at any time something happens that really needs a careful call to attention. I drop what I'm doing and make sure that it gets addressed. That's the biggest point. Um, because when you're not getting hacked on a regular basis, like there's just not as much that needs doing with that level of urgency or that warrants that level of time. Do you find that certain, do you try to target jobs in certain industries that are, are more chill or, um, or I guess what industries should people avoid more generally? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, if you're trying to get your first job, it's going to be, uh, based on whatever you can get, just get it. Just, just say yes. Say yes to everything when you're trying to get your first job. Mm-hmm. Once you have that experience, it's it's a cakewalk. It's a gravy train. After that, then you um, now have the leverage to get the job that you want. When uh, looking for jobs, the best advice that I can give you is to hire your boss. I would take a good boss over an additional 10% pay every day of the week and twice on Sundays. Yeah, Having a good boss is such a profound impact on your quality of life that uh, it's not something that should be easily overlooked. So with that, I'll give you an example. I did interview at a couple of places uh, in 2021 when I was looking for um, a new job. One place for their uh, 
interview uh, project, their interview test for me, gave me access to their production database. It's like, I don't think you understand, lady. I could have had you by your Christian name. I could have ruined you versus the company that I ultimately ended up accepting the offer for boss was super chill, extremely intelligent. They had all of their I's dotted and their T's crossed as an organization and they knew it, but they still needed somebody to bring on to make them a little bit better and to help get them across the finish line for SOC certification. And that's exactly what I did. So um, I would really say it's on a case-by-case -case basis, not so much an industry-by-industry -industry basis, because arguably these guys are both in the exact same industry. Mm -hmm. But Yeah, but like what about like say uh, financial or banks? Would you avoid that because it's a lot of responsibility? Um, I'm trying to think some other ones, but, but yeah. I mean, I think like, anything's going to be a lot of responsibility. When you're, when you're talking about banks and financial institutions, they're going to – these really big players that have the most responsibility are also going to have the most resources. So it's kind of a self-solving problem. Like, mm -hmm. would you rather be at a place that's really small and you're the only guy that's low stakes, or would you rather be at a place that is really big, uh, has a large team, but is high stakes? Well, in either case, you probably have about the same amount of responsibility. Yeah, that's fair. And I hope I don't come across as a major slacker. I'm just sort of taking the position of one if someone theoretically wanted to do so. <laughs> no, I think that's great. Like this, these, are, these are the questions that I get asked like all the time. And you're yeah. asking fantastic questions. So, you know, keep them coming. All right. I'll hit you. Uh, I'll mix it up a bit. I'll hit you with um, some questions from Twitter. Uh, we tweeted out that I was going to be interviewing you and we got a couple questions. Um so the first two are actually related questions, and it's basically for non-Americans. So if you are not American, listen up. Um, the first one is tips for non-U.S. citizens that want to go full remote. And then a related question, kind of what's up with cybersecurity in Europe slash outside the USA? How is the career different uh, outside the USA? Yeah, so I'm going to go ahead and... Um... For not USA, I'm going to answer this question in two categories of Europe and not Europe. Um, I've had students in Europe who have successfully started careers, notably in the UK, on a couple of occasions at this point. Um, and what it seems to be is the standard of get your certifications because Network Plus and Security Plus are internationally recognized. Mm, good um, point. So get your certifications and go through the process. The pay is probably going to be lower and you're probably going to be expected to work on site at least in the beginning. After that, um, and I think this is probably going to be the standard for everybody else too. Um, I, mean, I get questions like this that I think are really interesting. And like uh, somebody will ask me specifically like, hey, like what can I do to get a, to start my cybersecurity career like if I'm in Singapore and it's like, I don't know. Like, I don't, I don't know the first thing about Singapore. Like you should probably like do some research <laughs> and, and see what, um, 
like what the opportunity is like there in Singapore, because I don't know where that, like, I don't know the first thing about what that market is specifically. Um, there are some of them because of some connections that I have, like, uh, like in India, there are a couple of, um, organizations that are really big that do like contracting for like positions in the U S and things like that. There's a big one that starts with an A that I can't remember the name off the top of my head, but, um, there are some opportunities like that available, but in general, what I say is if your goal is to start a career in cybersecurity, I think the best thing that you can do is look to get a cybersecurity job in your country of citizenship or country of residence. Because mm-hmm. a lot of this comes down to background check considerations. Like mm-hmm. if we cannot verify who you are as an individual, then we cannot verify that you are not a nation state threat actor, which is essentially a bad guy trying to get a job in another country who's actually sponsored like a paid bad guy of the government. Right. Um, so that's a huge, a huge, and then decision. I guess similarly, if you're like a normal American guy that has a felony, this might not be the career for you. You would think so. Except for the fact that funny enough, my student who did this faster than anybody else, was 18 days or something like that, to a job in cybersecurity, uh, had a felony on his record and got a job. I actually just talked to him like an hour ago and asked him like, you know, how he was doing. He said the job's going well, but um, you know, he's having some other like, you know, problems in his, his personal life. Unrelated Stole a car again. To that. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no like uh uh you know like relationships all right, all right it's fine it's fine um, but, but okay i'll hit you with a, another question uh, and by the way we talk about uh background check stuff extensively in the job stacking interview because it's hilarious from the perspective of working multiple jobs and the background checks don't really show that you have another w2 etc so we talk about mm-hmm. some of that that nuance um in, in the job stacking one just for, for the audience um okay one question um from twitter what's your advice to a computer engineering graduate who has no experience in cs but wants to land his first job yeah it's it's gonna be a cakewalk um if you've done like computer engineering software engineering you understand networking to some extent and or you understand all the other parts of the things that we're gonna like go to to get you from wherever it is that you are to uh, starting a career in cybersecurity. My recommendation for you is the exact same recommendation that I have for everybody else, which is to follow the roadmap, get your certs, learn your skills, make a portfolio, apply to everything, and watch what happens. Um, there's a uh, it. A lot of this comes down to who can have the most feathers in their cap. Right, who can have the heaviest resume, quote unquote, like resume weight is something that um, is a term that I like to use with my students. The idea is that every other individual skill, certification, degree, experience that you have is going to give your resume more, quote unquote, weight. The goal is to be the heaviest resume in the stack. Mm-hmm. And so, um, with that, if you have a degree, like, cool, then you're just going to be that much more likely you're going to have that many more doors open to you. 
but if you don't have a degree, there's a lot of opportunity in here to get in, which is why I recommend um, if you're inter interested in this industry, don't go to college. I spent $200,000 on my education. I have a bachelor's in math and a master's in cybersecurity. Mm -hmm. It's it's gross. Like, just, just don't do it. Just you. Not so if anyone's listening that's like in high school, they could probably just skip the CS degree entirely, do the outline that we've talked about, certifications, Linux, Python, traffic analysis, and they're good to go? Yep. I have two boys. They are six and eight right now. They're going to be seven and nine this year. I've told them that if you want a car, you will pass your network plus and then I will buy you a car. They will not be going to college. I will not be paying for them to go to university, but I will give them every opportunity for if they want to, to pursue an opportunity in tech. And when you're 16, and you're looking at maybe getting a job at the local pizza hut, making whatever minimum wage is going to be when they're 16, some $25 an hour, something like that with the rate inflation's going. Hell nah, young Timmy's going to be pen testing. That's right. That's what I'm saying. Like when you're looking at that versus, gosh, you know, I really could be making $80,000 a year doing this other job. That's a lot cooler um, like I could really have a nicer car. I could, uh, do way more stuff with my friends. And all of a sudden those real life considerations come in. And then all of a sudden it's like, okay, like, yeah, this is hard, but it's worth it to give it a shot. Um, so yeah, it's the same thing. Like, like that. I, the same advice that I tell to everyone applies to high schoolers as well. Like get your network plus, if you can do that, then you have every opportunity in the world to go out and, have an incredible career um, from a young age. Got it. And uh, so we're talking about 10 years from now, he's got to write that test. So you're saying that it's still going to be uh, valid and that that certification and, and those um, learnings are going to still be valid 10 years from now? Uh, I anticipate that it will be, yes. Because here's the thing, you get a new version of the test that's released every four years, something like that. Mm -hmm. um, and so they're keeping up with the new trends and new technology and things like that. And then you have to do your continuing education credits every three years or so to recertify without having to recertify to re-up your certification. Um, and so with that, whatever the technology ends up being that, you know, like Wi-Fi brain waves for iBrain or whatever it is. If, you know, if that's the, the newest thing in networking, I'm sure it's going to be on the test. Um, and so, yeah, like I, I do like, like wh whatever it ends up being, like if it's not network plus and security plus, it's going to be whatever its successor is at that time. Right. Is, is security plus optional or is that mandatory? Strongly recommended. Um, I've seen students get jobs without it. I've seen students get jobs with a security plus without a network plus. But uh, again, it's about having the heaviest resume in the stack. And every other box you check is another feather in your cap. Especially after you get your network plus, it's worth spending the extra two weeks to get that security plus. It's only two because weeks. Because you're really showing somebody 
who knows that you have no experience that you're ready for this responsibility. Gotcha. Is it even that hard if it's only a hundred hours? Cause that's only, uh, 20 days at, Oh shit. My math is bad. So 10, 10 days, 10 hours a day, 20 days, five hours a day. You know what I mean? That's not that bad. Yeah. Like it's depends on what you mean by that bad. It's, um, if you've gone to college and you've crammed for finals, it's kind of like cramming for finals for a straight month. It's mm-hmm. pretty much what it is, except you have one final at the end, and that final is your network plus. Got it. Oh, and uh, so speaking of, so CompTIA, people are probably going to be, uh, <laughs> I feel like you're selling CompTIA more than you are your own stuff. Um, <laughs> But uh, so people will probably end up on the Comp, CompTIA website and they'll see that there's actually a, a few other certifications. There's IT fundamentals. There's the A plus, which is pretty, pretty big, I guess. And then there's other infrastructure ones like Linux plus. And they might think, oh, maybe I need Linux plus because Bowtie Cyber was talking about Linux um, on the podcast. What are your thoughts on Linux plus and A plus and some of the other ones? Yeah, great question. So, test plus. Um, I had a uh, a thread that did decently well um, in December, which kind of started off my major growth curve. And in that, I said something about how um, there are a million certifications in IT, but you only need two. And it's Network Plus and Security Plus. So A Plus is going to be your really basic computer fundamentals. And I think they actually have a computer fundamentals one that's even more basic than that. What I tell people is if you know anything at all about computers, like you understand what an operating system is, you understand uh, um, like what RAM is and drives, you know, if you've ever like, you know, taken apart your laptop before and like, you know, swapped out RAM or, um, you know, swapped out your drive, loaded an OS. If you've done things like that, then you know enough to jump right into network plus because your A plus is not going to help you in your cybersecurity career. My, um, coworker and I used to work with a guy at another company who had a plus on his business card. And we used to routinely make fun of this guy. Like we called him and he had like an assistant. We used to call him a plus man and Robin. So it's like, don't, don't tout your a plus in cybersecurity. Like it's a decent cert for high schoolers, right? You're not in high school or you're an adult. You're not, you're in high school. You're, you're an adult. You're a professional. Mm-hmm. And that's how you need to view yourself too. You need to view yourself as a professional. That's how you become a professional is to view yourself as such, respect yourself as such. And then present yourself as such. And then you become a professional. Ta-da. Uh, then it really is that simple. Like, and okay. I promise when you're actually faced with these things in real life and you're creating resumes and getting interviews, you'll ask me all of these questions that I will give you the same answers to at that time when you're asking me instead of somebody else asking me because it also applies to you. So um, you, you can uh, take some comfort in that. It, it's, it's, a, it's a process that we've pretty well broken in. A um, couple, couple of quick questions about uh, interview process. 
Uh, Indeed versus LinkedIn. I would say Job Stackers and also the the No Degree podcast guy and myself, we're all about LinkedIn. I don't really use Indeed much anymore. We just get all our stuff through LinkedIn. But I noticed that um, at least on Twitter or, or maybe on the Substack, there was a lot of like Indeed based stuff. What's your, your thoughts on um, uh, like where, where to find the jobs and uh, where, where to focus, what websites? Yeah, I think um, the ratio, the sweet spot is going to be 50 to 100 Indeed applications for 10 LinkedIn applications. Whoa. The, re- the reason why is um, on LinkedIn, there are, it's easier to get a hold of people directly. You can DM hiring managers or whatever else, uh, which is a huge bonus. Versus on Indeed, if you're doing Indeed Quick Apply, you can apply to a job in 15 seconds. And so volume is the thing that I've found. I, uh, I agree on volume, but uh, LinkedIn has easy apply and you can kind of do the same thing. Ooh. I haven't played around um, with the LinkedIn Easy Apply. If that's the case, then um, I would be interested to see what the results end up looking like. I know that my students get in touch with recruiters a lot on LinkedIn because as soon as they put that they have a Network Plus on their resume, um, they're, they're looking for a local worker or whatever, they get people reaching out to them because they're just hard to come by. Um, mm. So I would say whether it's on Indeed or whether it's on LinkedIn, I think volume is going to be the biggest driving factor. I, yeah, like I think I volume's me. huge. That should be the takeaway for people. Yeah. Um, I feel like Indeed is almost more like Craigslist and like the jobs aren't as legit, whereas like LinkedIn, it's more more legit professional companies on average. I have not had that experience in um, the cybersecurity networking sys admin side of things. Um, I think most jobs tend to be pretty legit. I've uh, like all of the places that I've ever interviewed for, I think have all been exclusively through indeed and they've been good. Every once in a while you get a call from a recruiter and it's just uh, you know, somebody spinning your wheels and wasting your time. Um, I had a lot worse luck with that going through uh, dice.com. Which I don't recommend. Okay. So basically just focus on Indeed and LinkedIn. Those are the only two sites that people need. Yeah, I'd say so. Okay. How how many people do you think have the Network Plus certification in the United States? I don't know, but I can find out. I think it's like uh, 30,000 people. I don't know. Let's find out. Um well, yeah, I'm not sure. It's probably it's got to be tens of thousands, though. Tens of thousands, and I think you said what did you say? Like three to one uh, uh, supply demand or demand supply? Oh no, it's it's um, three to one. It's actually like three and a half to one um, demand of cybersecurity to uh, RNs. We're not not demand. Uh, total open positions. Open so there's, positions. The, yeah, there's more total positions for RNs than there are for uh, cybersecurity professionals in the U.S. But there's three and a half times more openings for cybersecurity uh, than there are for 
for for RMs. And I, I know you've talked about this on, on the Substack and, and different places, but uh, just a, in a very short form, like what does a portfolio look like for a cybersecurity person? Because I feel like for a developer, it's pretty easy. You put together a couple of crappy HTML, CSS websites. Um, but what, is a, what does a portfolio look like for a cybersecurity person? Yeah, that's a, uh, that's a great question. And so... Um, I actually have uh, done something that really helps address this in a way that's better than probably anything I could explain. I have a domain. It is bowtiedcyberportfolio.xyz. I really need to change that domain because every website on the planet thinks it's malware um, because it's a $1 domain. So I really should just buy the .com and change it. Um, but in any case, that's what it is right now. It's bowtiedcyberportfolio.xyz. This is a WordPress site that um, was my actual redacted cybersecurity portfolio that I used to get my cybersecurity job in uh, 2019, um, complete with the original timestamps of um, all of these entries that I had, which were all coincidentally in March of 2019 that I put in across a 16 day span. So it has a few things in here. Mostly they are capture the flag events where for people who don't know, they are hacking challenges that allow you to test your hacking skills so you're given a website and you're told to capture the flag and you're not told anything else. And so you have to try a bunch of different stuff until you figure out where the vulnerability is and how to find the flag. I had one in here on um, capturing a clear text password with Wireshark like we discussed earlier. Um, I have one in here about um, automating scans with Nmap, which is a network mapper. Um, so it's just a bunch of different things, but I think more than what I'd be able to explain, if you go to um, bowtiedcyberportfolio.xyz, it's totally free. Anybody can go there and see it. Um, that'll give you a good example. But what it is, it's doing projects and cybersecurity tasks and explaining what you did and what your thought process was in real time uh, to demonstrate one, not only that you know how to do something, but two, that you know how to communicate effectively. Like, it's one thing to be able to do something, but for you to be able to demonstrate that you know how something works, you have to be able to explain that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so what what is it that people need to communicate when they're going through the interview process? Is it like, are you explaining like, I'm so good at networking, I'll be able to find all the bugs in your system and make your system bulletproof. I'm guessing that's not really it. No, 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 not at all. It's just um, projecting competency. And so this is what I tell people. The best question that you can ask in an interview is what are you looking for in an ideal candidate? Because remember, when, when you're trying to get a job, when you're in the job hunting process, you are in the business of selling yourself. You are a salesman, but the product is you. And so 
when you're in sales, information is your ammunition, right? But this is not like this kind of cheeky little back and forth BS that you have, like if like sometimes in your relationships where people are like saying things without saying things, and like did they really mean that? It's like in business, it's all cut and dry to the point. Like they're here to make money. You're here because they think that you can help them make money in some capacity, either directly or indirectly. And so if you ask them a question, they'll give you a real answer. There's not a lot of this beating around the bush, like looking at the like deeper meaning, like ask them what they want and they will tell you when they do that. Then you now have the template of this is what they want. And you can then sell yourself based on your knowledge because you don't have any direct experience yet on why you think that you would be able to do that job successfully and why you think you could be that candidate for this organization. I like it. A um, couple of rapid fire questions as we start wrapping up. Um, you have a bunch of tweets about how Python is superior to Java, C++, uh, other programming languages. Uh, why is that? It's faster and easier. Faster and easier to learn, not faster and easier to run, but it doesn't matter if it runs fast in cybersecurity. Okay, cool. Um, you've suggested getting uh, a cloud certification as well to beef up your portfolio. Um, there, I guess there's three main cloud providers, Azure, uh, why am I blanking? Um, Azure, AWS, and uh, what's the third one? Is it Google or IBM? Yeah, GCP. Um, so what, what do you find to be the most popular slash if someone had to choose between Google Cloud Platform, AWS, or Microsoft Azure, which one should they focus on? Um, okay, so Google Cloud's out. Uh, they're just not big enough. AWS is bigger than Azure, pretty sure. Um, and so if you're going to pick one, probably just do the most basic AWS cert that you could get because you're not trying to show that you're an expert. You're trying to show that you know Check the box. something. Check the box. It's a one or a zero. Do you have an AWS cert or do you not have an AWS cert? It's another feather in your cap. It's more weight on your resume. Okay. Is it part of your process to make everyone buy a domain for their portfolio? Yep. Okay, cool. So they're making like a, a bit of a custom website. Yeah. And in fact, I actually have a whole um, Substack post on that. It's uh, a complete tutorial on how to create your WordPress portfolio. And I walk through the entire thing step-by-step step with screenshots from uh, logging into your DigitalOcean account, or if you create one, you just create one, and then um, creating your server with the WordPress image. Then you go to Namecheap, you buy your domain, you set your DNS records, you go back to the server, you finish configuring it, and all is well. So yeah, it's a it's a really inexpensive process. Costs six dollars a month to run. Uh, the server necessary to run a WordPress server, which is the smallest one that they offer, by the way. Uh, it's literally one core and one gig of RAM for $6 a month. And uh, and you can buy a domain for a few dollars. Um, 
and that's and that's all you need. But then that gives so much weight to what you're capable of doing because you're able to buy a domain, you're able to configure it, you're able to set up and maintain the server. Like there's so many individual components of that that already by themselves go, okay, this guy knows at least a little bit about what he's talking about. I'm interested. Okay, sweet. So, uh, fun fact, uh, three Latinas are walking into my apartment right now and we are going to the club. So let's get to wrapping up the episode. Mr. Bowtide Cyber. Uh, yeah. Uh, tell, tell the people what the next steps are. So if you're interested in starting a career in cybersecurity, more importantly than following me on Twitter, going to my Substack, or checking out my bootcamp, start studying for your network plus. Like most of the things that I've recommended on here are things that make me no money. It's more important for me to make sure that you're getting what you want out of this process because the dollars will come. I'm not worried about it. When you want the community, when you want the extra support, you'll come find me. That's fine. Um, Start studying for your network plus and you can find my cybersecurity career roadmap completely free online. If you go to my Twitter, there's a, a link there um, or you could go to the uh, domain cbr.quest. Um, that'll take you to my Substack. There's the roadmap. It's, it's all in there in, in capital letters right on the very front. You cannot miss it. Um, and uh, yeah, and if you think that this is the career for you, or if you think it's something that can give you the kind of lifestyle that you think that you want, I strongly encourage you to look into it and see if it's something that um, might be a fit for you. Because I know that we need people in this industry just as much as you want the lifestyle that you desire. So it really is a win-win situation. Awesome, man. Uh, well, dude, this has been a, a big eye opener for myself and I'm sure a lot of listeners giving them, uh, you know, a new potential career path. So we very much appreciate your time coming on the podcast, Mr. Bowtide Cyber. Hit us with all your uh, domains and places to, to, uh, to follow your journey. So at Bowtide Cyber on Twitter, uh, and that's C-Y-B-E-R, of course, Bowtide Cyber. Uh, Substack, where else? Tell us. Yeah, so the Substack's going to be a bowtiedcyber.substack.com. Um, CBR.quest also takes you to the same place. Other than that, I am on LinkedIn as a Bowtide Cyber LLC. Um, and uh, I'm on Instagram as well, slowly building up that following with a whole 350 followers. Yay. Um, same handle at Bowtide Cyber. Uh, I think, I think that's all the, uh, the main places. Um, in addition to that, if you go to, uh, my Twitter, you'll see all of the, um, individual products and things that I offer in the near future. I'll have bowtiedcyber.com fully up and running, but it's still in the, uh, in the development phase. So if you'd like to see a site full of generic Latin filler text, you're free to go there in the meantime. <laughs> okay. Uh, Sweet. Well, this has been another episode of the My Latin Life 
podcast. My guest today was Bowtied Cyber. Go look him up on all the platforms and go get started on your Network Plus certification, guys. As you continue on the path, you know who your new guru is. And honestly, I'm going to be recommending this to a lot of my friends. I think it I think I, I definitely agree it could be a, a little bit of a quicker path than software engineering. And um, dude, you got to hit me a, a promo code for uh, for your boot camp um, and uh, we'll, we'll get some signups for your boot camp. Dude, 100%. Right now it's um, $2,000 off if you use a promo code LFG for let's fucking go. I don't know if you got to give me my own. You got to give me a promo code My Latin Life. Ooh, done. I'll add it in right now, $2,000 off the promo code My Latin Life. Sweet. Guys, promo code My Latin Life Bootcamp. Uh, if you don't know where to go, start on Twitter. Find them on Twitter. Bowtie Cyber. Sign up. Life-changing stuff. Perfect. This has been another episode. Cheers, guys. <laughs>